0: The um, theme tonight is quite dark, and actually when we look at the news, the the world feels very dark, doesn't it, it's spiritual darkness. Tonight we're going to hear a little bit from John Hunt on Persecuted Church, uh, his experience in Nigeria. We're going to hear from Saab, looking at the chapter in, in Luke where Jesus was betrayed and arrested, so the theme is, is quite dark. And I... I I wanted to start with that darkness and acknowledge that darkness and and sing a couple of songs about that darkness. But I thought we'd start just, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, should it? Because Jesus' words in Matthew 24, he's talking about the signs of the end of the age. And we're living in that end of the age, aren't we? So I thought I'd I'd just read a little bit from Matthew 24, verse 14 verses. Jesus left the temple and was walking away. When his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be left? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, All these are the beginnings of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let's pray. Lord God, we can see the darkness. that You were talking about Jesus. You were, you were prophesying about the darkness that we're living in right now, Lord. We see... Ukraine and Russia and the whole world, nation upon nation, rising up, Lord. And we can see that that's going to get worse. We've lived through two years of, three years of of disease. We see famines and earthquakes, Lord. We see your church being persecuted. We see godlessness, Lord, in the people that we work with, the people in our, our neighbors. Not just wicked people, Lord, not just wicked leaders, but godlessness in schools and in the whole of society, Lord. And it makes us grieve. And tonight, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to grieve with you as we look at the wickedness in this world. But we thank you that we don't need to grieve. We don't need to be anxious because thank you that you are the light that came into this world. you the light of our light, Lord, in this darkness. And so we just pray that you would encourage us this evening And that you would guide us, you'd open our ears and our hearts to hear your word preached. You'll touch our hearts, Lord, as we sing our praises to you tonight. As we pray, Lord, on behalf of our world. As we hear your word read to us, Lord. We just lift tonight to you and just pray that you would speak and we would have ears to hear. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
1: Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you to be able to gather here in such peace, such tranquility, such luxury tonight, Lord, to to come before your throne and worship you. We thank you for this honour and privilege that it is that we can actually come to pray and commune directly with you tonight, Lord. We can also do this at any time, anywhere, Lord. Thank you for that amazing gift you've given us. Lord, as we... Heard of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and the persecution they can face. Lord, I pray they would hear our prayers as well as you. That they would be encouraged that we are praying for them. They would stand firm in their faith. Their roots would be set deep into the soil, Lord, entangled with each other, entangled with our roots to you, Lord, so we could stand firm like a tall tree, with our roots planted deep to cope with any storm that may blow across. No wind could shake us if our roots are deep and entangled with you. Thank you, Lord, for the promises you give us. Thank you, Lord, that our brothers and sisters that are facing persecution also know those promises. Lord, I do pray for those who are persecuting our brothers and sisters around the world. I pray, Lord, that you would have mercy on them. You would touch their hearts. You would show them the love and the peace that you can offer. Only you can offer that amount of love and peace to save their lives, Lord. So I pray, Lord, for their lives. I pray that you would work powerfully in their lives to bring them to a point where they realise the sinful life they're living and would turn to you and worship you. Stand shoulder to shoulder with their Christian believers in the areas. We do thank you for those examples that John has shared, Lord, where he's had the chance to meet with other leaders and important people in the Muslim faith, Lord, and the love that he shared. Lord, we pray for that love to be extended to a wider community of the Muslims, Lord. That more people would see the truth that is Jesus. They would hear of you. They would give their lives to you as we have, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to forgive those who do acts of evil against you. Lord, we think of Putin and his attack on the Ukraine, Lord. We pray if it is your will that you touch his heart and you heal him. You take him away from his sinful life or you remove him completely, Lord. We know you have the power to do whatever is at your will. You could swipe him away like a little insect and it would be nothing to you, Lord, to do that. But, Lord, if it is your will, I know you want to save people. We pray that you would save him, you would open his heart to receive you. Being priest to the Ukrainian nation, Lord. Help them stand firm as they're attacked. Help them know the truths that are written in the word, your holy word, Lord, that we can all see. Dear Heavenly Father, we do know that you are coming. You're sending Lord Jesus back to us, Lord. We do not know the day. We do not know the hour. We know he is coming. We can stand firm in this, Lord. What a glorious day that will be. Help us to prepare our hearts, Lord. So we know Jesus when he arrives. We will not know the hour or the minutes or the second, Lord. We know he's coming. Help us be ready, Lord. He will come like a thief in the night, bringing glory and joy to those who love him. but Damnation to those who don't. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Lord, I do pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing poor health at the moment in the church. Lord, have a moment of silence. So the people here can raise before you, the names of those who are suffering. But Lord, we think of Thelma, Lyle, Pippa. Lord, there's a whole list of people who are suffering. People who are recently out of hospital. Lord, we know you have the power to heal by a touch. We pray that you touch these people and heal them. And we thank you for the faith they show while suffering these pains and earthly troubles. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time of worship. I pray for Saab as he opens your word, that you would empower him richly, Lord, that the words he uses will come directly from you, that we will hear them, our hearts will be touched and moved to know you and remember the work you've done for us. Help us to focus clearly, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: Our reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 22, 39 to 53. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion? that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept. Bitterly. So the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy who hit you. And they said many other insulting things to him. May God bless the reading of his word.
3: Abby, thank you so much uh, for reading for us. Uh, before I start, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for reminding us of uh, the privilege and pleasure that we have of being able to gather around your word. And Father, I pray that uh, as, as I unfold scripture, Father, I do pray that uh, by your spirit, uh, you'll be at work in all of our hearts. Now uh, Quicken our minds, unstop our ears. Uh, Speak to us powerfully. Might we be uh, convicted and encouraged. Help us to see more of our need for you and of your love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, please do keep them open. It would be a great help to me uh, if you are able to uh, follow along. (laughs) Uh, We started our pre-Easter series last week. Uh, And during this season of Lent, we are working our way through Luke's account of Jesus's final hours uh, to the crucifixion. But Lent is a tricky time uh, for us as Christians to use well. Uh, As Christians, we know, because we live this side of the cross, that the victory has indeed been won. And there can be a temptation during Lent to rush to Easter Sunday, to rush to that day when the stone has been rolled away and delight in what God has done in raising the Lord. And don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that uh, the, the resurrection of Christ is, uh, is not a delightful and amazing thing. But Lent is a season for Christians, for us, to reflect on not only the beauty of God and what he has done, but for us to look inside our own hearts and dwell upon we are. And we can do that because the gospel accounts of the earthly ministry of Jesus, they devote about uh, a quarter to a half of the gospel uh, to that final week of Jesus's life on earth uh, before the crucifixion. The main thing, therefore, that the gospels have in view is the work that God does through Christ on the cross. And that reveals Uh, amazing truths about who God is and what that means for us and God has given that to us to help us see more of God but also as we journey through that final week to see in the frailty of the disciples more of our own hearts see more of how wonderful God is and to see more of our own hearts and that is humbling but seeing both of those things together, the wonder of God and the frailty of our own hearts, that is good news. That is good news. And as we look at what Luke tells us about Jesus' final hour uh, before he was crucified, uh, as we read through our passage, um, Luke is really spotlighting the faithfulness of God. And that's held out in sharp contrast to the frailty, the faithlessness. Uh, and the fallibility of humanity. So as we look at our reading today, I want us to see these two things. The darkness that's revealed by Jesus's friends, Peter and Judas, uh, and the light of God's love that is revealed in Christ. So firstly, uh, the darkness revealed by Jesus's friends. Now this part of Scripture is really well trodden, I'm sure, by many of us. Uh, we've heard the accounts many times of Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. But as we come to it this evening, uh, I want us to see the absolute ordinariness of Judas and Peter. Uh, I, I know that we can be tempted to read this part of Scripture, throw up our hands and say, how could they? How could they do that? But tonight, as we meditate on this bit of scripture, I want us to see that inside our own hearts, we have a Judas and we have a Peter. And I think that what makes this part of scripture so convicting is just that what Judas and Peter do is so mundane. It's so mundane. So let's start by looking at Judas. Uh, The traditional view of Judas is that he was an especially evil man. It paints Judas as being special, of uh, deserving, especially harsh treatment, because he was so unusual. And and that's a view that's been around for hundreds of years. Uh, The first part of uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, uh, written in the 14th century, is a, uh, a poem called uh, uh, Inferno, and as you might have guessed from the title of the poem, uh, it's about a soul's journey uh, into hell. It, it, it's a poem, uh, it's not uh, biblical. And uh, as Dante uh, paints, uh, there are nine circles in hell, uh, and the circles descend from the least bad to uh, the, the most bad. Uh, and he writes this, he says, uh, uh, of the traveler, Virgil, who is uh, making the journey. So soon after I had left my flesh in death, uh, she sent me through these walls and down as far as the pit of Judas to bring out a spirit. And that place is the lowest and darkest and the farthest from the sphere that circles all. Dante says the place where Judas has gone is the worst place Imaginable, The ninth circle of hell reserved for the worst people imaginable. And that, says Dante, is where you find people like Judas. He's the worst person imaginable. But is that what scripture tells us? Is that, is that really what Luke is wanting us to see? Well, uh, Judas isn't a person that we get an awful lot of detail about in the gospel. Uh, but what Luke says about Judas isn't flattering. Uh, in fact, uh, Judas is mentioned only four times by name uh, in Luke's Gospel, and two of those occasions we had read to us uh, this evening. And as you read through Luke's Gospel, uh, you find nothing remarkable about Judas. Nothing really to single him out from the other disciples. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us of the times that Judas really stood out as a disciple during a period of Jesus's ministry. Uh, There are no moments of uh, great insight, no radical obedience, uh, no sacrificial service. He's just ordinary. Nothing to distinguish him really from the other disciples. Uh, And last week, Simon showed us the way that the disciples responded when Jesus said that one of them was going to betray him. Uh, As Jesus tells them that one of them is going to betray Jesus, they all look around the room, don't they? And they ask, is is, is it it me? Is is it you? Is is, is it me? And as far as they're aware, it could have been any of them. It could have been any one of them. What was going around in their minds must have been what Luke tells us in verse 24. Uh, This is the reading uh, from last week. That they were disputing with one another who was going to be the greatest. Uh, they were thinking only about, about themselves. Who's going to be the greatest? Is it going to be me or is it going to be you? They were thinking about how they could be the greatest. Remember that Jesus came into Jerusalem just a week before, a few days earlier, and the city cried out that Jesus, the one who'd come in, is king. But rather than Jesus taking the crown and using the power to establish what the disciples wanted was a kingdom, uh, Jesus spends his time talking about his death. And if Jesus is going to die, what does that mean for the disciples? What does that mean for them? Will they be great in the kingdom? Uh, Will the kingdom come to nothing and their hopes die with it? Will they also die? They're each asking themselves this question. Is Jesus worth? the cost is Jesus worth the cost now Judas has done what the other disciples are thinking he has agreed to sell Jesus for cash uh, in Judas's mind there is it's just not worth it anymore it's no longer worth the cost of following Jesus he just sells him and frankly that's something that many of us are tempted to do at some point that's, some of us have already maybe done that at some point it's such an ordinary thing to do. <clears throat> the economic cost of following Jesus, some will argue, is too high. So we'll sell him. That big promotion with the extra salary means, well, I'm going to have to work on a Sunday. Or, or I won't be available for home group. Or I can't go on the church away day. Or I won't have time for my quiet time. I want the money. So I sell Jesus. Jesus. Uh, The social cost is too high, so we sell Jesus. We long to be with the in-crowd at the school gate, uh, but they don't want to associate with people less well-off than them. So we stop serving the needy in our community. We'd rather spend our money on a fancy dinner party or a holiday than on contributing toward gospel work in the church. Uh, Telling people that we hold fast to biblical teaching on marriage, uh, as being between one man and one woman in a permanent, lifelong, monogamous relationship, means some of our friends will think less of us. So we keep quiet. We long for the social applause. So we sell Jesus. The moral cost is too high, so we sell Jesus. Jesus's call to holiness means we shouldn't... Uh, overindulge in drink but it's so easy to slip from one to the next to the next and to the next Jesus' call to holiness means that we shouldn't view pornography but we just long for that release so we indulge we know we should seek to build one another up with words of encouragement but we just love gossiping and running people down behind their back the moral and holiness cost is too high so we sell Jesus. In so many ways, don't we? We have that little Judas inside us. And the moment the cost of following Jesus gets a little bit too high, we sell Jesus. It's staggeringly ordinary. So as we journey through Lent, let's ask ourselves that question. It's a painful question, but let's ask it. Let's wrestle with it. Where in our lives are we selling Jesus. Next, Peter. Uh, Last week we saw Jesus tell Peter that Satan had demanded to have Peter, but that Jesus had prayed for him. So Peter's faith wouldn't fail. Um, He prayed so that Peter would be able to stand firm. And we saw that in verse 32 last week. Then in an absolutely staggering display of a lack of self-awareness, Peter promises in verse 33, doesn't he, he's undying unswerving support for jesus Uh, but jesus says that peter will deny him three times before the cock crows now you can just imagine the scene can't you peter's there he's looking around the room and he's thinking to himself yeah he's gonna yeah he's gonna deny yeah he's yeah they're all gonna deny jesus i absolutely get it but not me not me i'm copper-bottomed yeah I am built and designed with German precision. There's nothing about me that will fail. Peter had no idea, did he, of what was coming and no understanding of himself. So he, like many of us, made the classic error. In the comfort of a warm room with a nice hot meal in your belly, surrounded by friends and no danger in sight, how easy it is to be brave how easy it is to be brave and think of ourselves more highly than we ought and how unnecessary it seems to ask for help but when trials come the real Peter not the one that he thinks he is but the real Peter pops out Judas sold Jesus when the cost of following him was too high when the cost of following Jesus was too high for Peter he denied him The same root problem. The cost for both of them was too high. But the manifestation of that was different. The same root problem. And again, staggeringly ordinary. So Peter makes this declaration of unswerving loyalty to death. But when the mob comes to arrest Jesus under cover of darkness, Peter melts away, just vanishes. And Luke sets the scene for us in verses fifty four to fifty five Take a look with me. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when there had and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So Jesus is taken into the house of the high priest, the home of the people seeking. To put Jesus to death and Peter slips into the courtyard having maintained a safe distance so that people didn't think that he was connected to Jesus. Inside Jesus is being interrogated by the power brokers of Jerusalem, the ruling elite. Peter was outside with the least, the marginalized and those with no power. And here Peter's put to the test. Uh, Just take a look with me at the exchanges that we have. Verse 56 through 60. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied him. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So while Jesus is being questioned by the high priest and the ruling elite, Peter is asked a question by a servant girl. Notice the question comes from a girl. Not a woman, but a girl. Uh, Women in that culture were uh, less socially uh, esteemed than men, had less currency, less clout. Children had even less clout. Servants had even less clout still. So Luke is driving home the point that you have to go all the way down to the bottom of uh, the social rating to find a person who has no currency, no power, no influence, asking the question. And we get the first denial in verse 57. Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Uh, Faced with what culturally at the time would have seemed like the least significant inquirer, Peter blows it. First denial. Then in 58, a little time later, he's questioned again. This time he's asked if he's one of them. Uh, Luke tells us it was a little time. If Peter had felt that he hadn't done quite a good job with the first question he'd have enough time to compose himself and address the second question well have a look what he does but asks if he belongs to the disciples he says no in his first denial he denies jesus now in his second denial he denies jesus by denying his followers the second denial then luke tells us another hour has passed Jesus is still being interrogated and Peter has had even more time to compose himself. And he's asked again. Now Peter's accent gives him away. Surely you're a Galilean. You're with him. And we're told in Matthew's gospel at this question, Peter calls down curses from God. That if he knew him, that God would curse him. Peter calls on the witness of Jesus's father to deny Jesus the third time. Peter denies knowing Jesus, he denies knowing the disciples, and he denies that even God knows Jesus. That's a complete and utter threefold denial. Then the rooster crows, and Peter remembers what Jesus had said. Peter is completely undone. Peter's failure was for him to believe his own PR. To think that God didn't know him, that Jesus didn't know him better than he knew himself. His pride caught him out. His pride manifesting as his overconfidence in himself. And we can suffer, can't we, from that same degree of overconfidence as Peter did. In the comfort and safety of a church prayer meeting, for instance, we can ask God for many opportunities to share the reason for the hope that we have. Uh, If we lack self-awareness, we might be completely undone. When, even at the school gate, if the friend of one of the S-Club children's uh, mother says, uh, or the friend says, uh, Mummy, Charlotte's mummy says that uh, she's been telling us all about Jesus. Is Jesus real, Mummy? Is that real? And if we don't know our hearts, we might be tempted even to fudge that simple question. To say anything other than to declare the truth of who Jesus is. We might be tempted to deny. Maybe a better prayer would be to pray that God would give us the words we need. And the courage that we need to speak them. Perhaps our neighbours ask you uh, if as a Christian you believe in same-sex marriages. Will you distance yourself from Jesus' teaching? Perhaps your work colleague asks you if Jesus is the only way to heaven. Surely, they say, everyone is saved, no matter what they believe. What do you say? Will you deny Jesus' teaching? Maybe our denial is internal. For instance, we don't like what the Bible says about the amount of money that we should give away. So we deny its claims over us. Uh, We don't like the way the Bible calls us to love our wife. So we deny its claims over us. Uh, We don't like the way the Bible calls us to forgive, especially those who have wronged us badly. So we deny its claims over us. And there are so many ways, aren't there, big and small, that we deny Jesus. In the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we care or don't care for others. Peter's denial may seem shocking. But it's really shocking because it's so ordinary. We all do it. Those who are closest to Jesus deny him. We deny him. We sell him. So if we're prepared to reflect on the response of the disciples it will allow us to look into our own hearts, to see the failings of the disciples will allow us to see our own shortcomings. And we can start to see more of our frailty, more of our faithlessness, and more of our fickleness. And if that's who we are, if that's who we really, really are, how can we be sure, how can we be really sure that God will be strong enough for us, faithful to the end and steadfast. As we start to look for those blind spots, we will see just how horribly frail, faithless and fickle we are. And if that's us, will God be faithful to us? Will he truly be faithful to us? Because that's what we need, isn't it? That's what our hearts most desperately need. And that's what our hearts really long to see. And that brings us to our second point. The light of God's love revealed in Christ. Take a look at uh, verses 40 through 46 with me. They're up on the screen. On reaching the place, that's the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to them, uh, the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Then he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. Having finished the Passover meal, knowing that he was going to be betrayed by Judas... And that his most vocal supporter, Peter, was going to deny him. Jesus goes to the Father. Jesus goes to the one that he has been with for all eternity past. The one whose face has never stopped shining on him. And as Jesus journeys toward the cross, he starts now to be in great anguish. He encourages his disciples to pray and then he moves a little distance from them close enough for them to see. Uh, In Jesus' time, the normal way that you prayed was you prayed standing up. You prayed standing up. Yet here we are in the garden and something has come upon Jesus that has knocked him off his feet. Something has come in view that has driven the Son of God to his knees. It's not the physical anguish of the cross. It's not the emotional hurt of betrayal and denial, but it's the cup. We see that in verse 42. It's the cup. Jesus sees the cup and he starts to be crushed. What is the cup? Uh, We find in the Old Testament, the cup is the infliction of punishment associated with the wrath of God. Uh, It's an image of the righteous judgment for the wickedness of humanity poured into a cup. The cup of wrath of God, which will be the portion, the drink for those who've rebelled against God. The righteous judgment poured out in full. Drunk by those who've rebelled against God and drunk down to the dregs. We go back into the Old Testament. We uh, just picked out four particular verses that I think uh, will help us. Psalm 11, verse 6. Psalmist writes, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Jeremiah 25, 15, thus the, thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending amongst them. Find the Isaiah 51:17. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering. Vivid imagery from the Old Testament of what the cup is. And as Jesus moves toward the cross, the cup of God's wrath comes into view. The judgment that is rightly due for all of the sins of humanity. The righteous and the just wrath of God kindled against our sin comes into view. The agony that awaits is being revealed, not the physical pain of the torture and the crucifixion, but the spiritual torment associated with the drinking down of the wrath of God. The terrible and full wrath that was the righteous judgment for all of humanity is being brought before the Son of God. The full scope of the horror that awaits is now fully in view for Christ. Uh, We can't even begin to imagine the dread that such a sight would have caused. But the mere sight of it was enough to cause the Son of God to crumple. Do you see just how big a deal our sin is? The enormity of it if it was able to reduce the Son of God to his knees and cause him to sweat blood. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century preacher, says this about the cup that Jesus uh, sees now in the garden. The the language is a bit arcane, uh, but bear with me. Uh, He says this, The cup of bitterness was now represented as, as just at hand He had not only a more clear and lively view of it than before, but it was now set directly before him that he might, without delay, take it up and drink it. It was the dread which his feeble human nature had of that dreadful cup that was vastly more terrible than Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. He had then a near view of that furnace of wrath into which he was to be cast, He was brought to the mouth of the furnace that he might look into it and stand and view its raging flames and see the glowings of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. This was the thing that filled his soul with sorrow and darkness. This terrible sight, as it were, overwhelmed him. It was so awful that it causes Jesus To pray these words. He says to his father, If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus sees what faces him, and he has two choices here. He has two choices. He could turn away from the cup, he could say, Those guys over there, they've caused it, it's their cup. They can drink it. This wrath is for them. And they should drink it. Jesus wouldn't then have to face the full force of the wrath of God in our place. But then we'd have to face it. You and I. And it's a price that we could never pay. A load we cannot bear. If Jesus was to do that. Sure. He'd survive. But it would be hell for us. Or. Jesus could bear it. He could drink the cup that is rightly yours and mine. We would survive. But it would be hell for Jesus. Jesus prays because he wants you and me with him through all eternity. He loves us so much. That he asks the Father if there is any other way for you and I to be saved. At the point of Christ's greatest agony, it's you and me that he has in view. And it's not because he has rose-tinted views of who we are. He doesn't uh, think that we're in some way inherently beautiful, inherently good and worthy. No, he's looking at the wrath that is rightly ours He knows that we aren't good. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that we overestimate ourselves and that we fail. But he has set his love on us. And he prays for another way. But the prayer is answered with a no. The cup is. Will be drunk by Jesus, or will be drunk by us. And this, friends, is how we know that we are more wicked than we ever thought possible, and more loved than we ever dare believe, at the same time. Firstly, we're more wicked than we can imagine because the only way that we could be made right with God was for the Son of God Himself to come and drink the judgment that we rightly deserve a penalty that we could never never pay and secondly we are more loved than we dare believe because in the darkness in the garden when no one was looking Jesus could have denied us he could have sold us out to Satan in the darkness when no one was looking he could have turned us over and he could have denied us but in the time of the most severe testing Jesus stayed he stayed and he drank our cup and the father sent an angel to strengthen him not to minimize the cup but to give jesus the strength he needed to drink it for you and for me and that's what we need to see as we journey through lent we need to see how firmly jesus holds on to us We need to see that Jesus will never, never betray us to the enemy. Jesus will never deny us to his heavenly father. Even as hell was washing over Jesus, he drank the cup of God's wrath. And even as the father turned his face away on the cross, Jesus stayed. Jesus never let go. Jesus never lets go. And as we journey through Lent and as we see the love that Jesus has for us, that will give us the power for us to love Jesus and to live for Jesus with real joy. To see Jesus as so supremely beautiful, of such value, of such glory, that there would be nothing that we would sell Jesus for. In fact, we'd sell anything to have him and as we see Jesus not denying us to the father it melts our hearts doesn't it because we know that if it was us we would deny us we know how fallible fickle and unfaithful we are and we know that we should be denied but Jesus's love for those of us who trust and believe in him is so great he'll never never deny us And as we can see more and more and more of that, the happier we'll be to proclaim him and to live for him and to love him. We'll be eager never to deny Jesus. So Christian, where are you? Do you see the little Judas inside? Do you carry the bravado of Peter inside? If so, look to the one who loves you and drank the cup that was yours and mine and drank it to the dregs and allow that love to transform you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and faithfulness uh, so beautifully revealed in the Lord Jesus. And thank you that the Lord Jesus chose the cross Thank you that he chose to drink the cup of your wrath and judgment for us in our place. By your spirit, allow the truths that we've heard in your word uh, burn brightly in our hearts. uh, Help us to slay the desire to deny you and to sell you. Help us as we journey through Lent to allow those truths to burn brightly in our hearts. Help us to live joyfully for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Shall we just go out this week just with these words in John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Lord, we just thank you for that truth. Thank you that in this darkness, in this world that we live in, thank you that you, Jesus, the light of the world, have come into that darkness. Thank you that we don't need to walk in that darkness because we have you, the light in our lives. So, Lord, we just pray that you send us out this week uh, to serve you, to be light in the community that we live in, at our places of work, at our families, with our neighbours. Lord, may people see the light of Jesus shining
2: out of us this week. Thank you, Lord.